Salufakoe, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susanna Suiswiki. E Hariakene, Vanuatu has another new Prime Minister. Also, enlightening and elaborating the history of where we truly come from. Coming to a screen near you is a Polynesian anime show. And later, a weaving business with roots in Tuvalu and Kiribati resonates with local women in Fiji. But first, Shalo Salwai has been elected Prime Minister of Vanuatu, with 29 votes in the absence of all members on the other side of the House. The now opposition MPs had staged a walkout at the beginning of this afternoon's sitting, having unsuccessfully argued against its validity. Don Wiseman has more. In his acceptance speech, Shalo Salwai apologised to the Vanuatu public for the ongoing political crises, which have seen four Prime Ministers elected in the space of three years. We also thank police for keeping the peace and thank citizens for respecting the law and each other. It's unlikely this will be the end of political instability. As members on the other side of the House had indicated they would challenged the legality of this afternoon's proceedings in court. Mr Selwai was previously Prime Minister for five years to 2020. New Caledonia's nickel industry is again facing a crisis, with a main shareholder in one of the territory's three mines threatening to pull its funding. Swiss-based mining company Glencore says it intends to stop financing the Koniambo nickel operation in the northern province by the end of February 2024 if a new financing solution isn't found. This comes after the French government's finance ministry last month released an alarming report of New Caledonia's nickel industry, stressing the need for a major reform of the sector. Patrick de Kloiter on RNZ's French Pacific desk has been following developments. He spoke with Kuroi Hawkins. Nickel industry in uh, New Caledonia has always been a uh, uh, controversial subject, even though it's also providing a lot of wealth for New Caledonia, uh, because New Caledonia is the fifth world nickel producer. It's obviously not negligible. Now, um, the, the 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 most recent development that we've seen in the in the on the nickel front in New Caledonia is that uh, for one at least one of uh, its uh, plants and mines, uh, which is the Konyambo mine in uh, in New Caledonia's uh, north of the main island, the current uh, major uh, stakeholder and financier, uh, which is an Anglo-Swiss company, um, Glencore, and it owns about 49% of the capital. And it said that it intends to stop financing uh, that plant, uh, the operations, at the end of February 2024, if, uh, if no uh, financing, financing solution is found, uh, what you have to bear in mind is that uh, Konyambo and, uh, and the company that operates it uh, has never really been profitable. Uh, it was uh, put into service in uh, 2014, but it's never been profitable. It, it employs about uh, 1,300 employees uh, and uh, the accumulated debt uh, uh, to date is uh, something of about 14 billion US dollars. Even on, on, on the past two years only, uh, the losses were about 2 billion US dollars. So the, the big question now is uh, 
whether the company will be allowed to uh, continue operation. The company says it has the funds to keep it running for the next uh, five months. And uh, the company in New Caledonia is, is always also maintaining that uh, it's already started uh, necessary reforms to make it more cost efficient. Obviously, we, we saw a, a crisis in the nickel sector in, in New Caledonia with the downturn in resource prices, but this has now seen a change in terms of the, the demand, um, as you say, for um, uh, e-vehicle batteries and that. So so that on the on the commodity side of things, it's looking good. But what what is this? Well, that's, the, that's, the, that's the paradox of the situation of the nickel in New Caledonia, because the world situation is very favorable to, uh, there is a high, higher and higher demand for nickel on the world scene with uh, car constructors uh, doing that transition to uh, electric vehicles. So they need a lot of those batteries. And one of the main components of these batteries is nickel. But uh, there was a report, uh, like an audit, that came out on the 1st of August by the French government and its finance department about nickel in New Caledonia. And that assessment actually came out just about the same time as uh, President, uh, French President Macron was in New Caledonia. And it basically said that um, for all those companies operating in New Caledonia, the situation was not really satisfactory, not good. The production was not adapted to, uh, to those emerging markets we were just talking about. There was not enough competitiveness and uh, there was also a high cost of labor and uh, those uh, industries were actually not energy efficient. And so in terms of next steps on this current situation, will be it'll be more toing and proing between the French government, the company and stakeholders. Is, is that where we're sitting right now? There will be some developments very soon, in fact, Koroi, uh, because if we listen to the company, Glencore, this major financier, they will um, meet very shortly with their shareholders, like at the middle of October, to decide what to do with Konyambo. Uh, and one possibility that they're already contemplating is to so to speak, uh, snooze the production, put it in pause for uh, an unspecified duration. But then that again has to be endorsed by this uh, shareholders meeting. And a more radical scenario would be that uh, they decide altogether that uh, Glencore completely withdraws from Konyambo uh, and they sell the shares. I don't think it's very likely because in the view of the current nickel market condition on the on a global basis, um, no company wants to get rid of this kind of resources. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, Cora. Okay. Ale. Ale tata. Simone Katoa, who's of Tongan and Salmon descent, is producing a first-of-its-kind Polynesian anime exploring voyaging legends of the Pacific. The pilot episode is set to be released by the end of the year. Tiana Haxton has been following his production online and spoke with the writer himself. 
Don't let the rocks fly up. He's facing the sun, right? So he's staring the sun down as he does this. You can see him staring it down. Bash! All stuff flies up. The Kotoa Otsua or KTO anime team comprises of Katoa's brother and cousins. They began recording the pilot episode in August this year after a decade of brainstorming, writing and designing. Anime is very popular among the youth of today and the team believe this will be a great medium of storytelling to ensure these voyaging legends are not forgotten. The anime itself is to help with enlightening and elaborating the history of where we truly come from. And the best medium I know is that we can do it through anime. What Kichio Anime desires to do is to gather these stories, these real genealogical stories that everyone has gone through. They're good, they're bad, they're ugly. That's anime. The Katoa brothers started this passion project in their mother's garage in 2013. It started off as a hobby, and the two were just looking for an interesting story to tell. Their grandparents were of great inspiration and shared the myths and legends of their homeland, inspiring the brothers to start their series off with a Tongan tale. The protagonist is Ahoi Tonga. He is the uh, original Tonga king, Hasamo and half Tongan king, to rule Tonga and the Tongan kingdom and to uh, re-voyage the ancient Pacific that have never been represented. And right now we're just starting with Tonga. They aspire to represent a diverse demographic and are aiming to collect 3,000 stories from Patreons across the Pacific Islands to be a part of the KTO anime series in the long run. This initiative will ensure the indigenous stories of the people of the Moana Nui Kiva are preserved for future generations. It gives us a bank, it gives the people a bank of real authentic genealogical stories to really add context to the brand to really add um, historical value to the youth and to uh, the public because it's really about teaching the public and it's really about teaching the youth where they come from. The Katoa brothers are currently in Hawaii where they are applying for kickstart funding to cover the cost of producing the rest of the first season which consists of 11 episodes. They are aiming to release the pilot episode online by the end of the year. The New Zealand Defence Force personnel says they learnt a lot from spending time living in the jungle alongside their Fiji military counterparts during the recent exercise cartwheel. A contingent of 92 New Zealand personnel took part in the exercise last month up in the tropical mountains and valleys of the Nausori Highlands. It comes after the New Zealand and Fiji government signed a status of forces agreement in June to further strengthen the defence relationship. Kuroi Hawkins spoke with the NZDF senior national officer, Major Michael Doughty, about the combat training exercise. Exercise cartwheel uh, basically is at the moment a biannual exercise. Uh, New Zealand first attended it last year in 2022 and this is our second time uh, taking part of it. Uh, basically, it is an exercise that's led and run by the um, Fijian Army and the US Army of the Pacific. Uh, last year, Australia, New Zealand and the United Kingdom were invited to attend, and we did, and uh, this year we, we re-contributed. Now, um, uh, I saw, saw some of the pictures. Look, living and camping um, in the jungle is one of the phrases that I saw. Uh, what's that about and, and how does that help with, um, I guess, both New Zealand side but also the, the collaborations? 
Uh, so basically, uh, for the New Zealanders and the Fijians, we had a um, integrated mortar line and fire support line. Basically, we had New Zealanders and Fijians working and living together, both in camp in Nandi, and both when and then when we deployed up to the Nasuri Highlands, where their training area was. Uh, the focus of Cartwheel is basically on close country training uh, with the Fijians uh, at the small unit level, uh, and we contributed by assisting with uh, mortar and heavy weapons training. Uh, so when we went up in the Surrey Highlands, the men and women uh, were fully integrated with the Fijian army, uh, and we trained and lived together uh, in the close country as they combined the New Zealand and Fijian force. I understand that last year was more of a display and uh, examples of some of the activities, and this year the training component was a, was a big part of it, was it? Yes, so last year we live-fired with the Fijians, um, but we hadn't really done much training on those weapon systems with them. So this year we decided to focus on combined and integrated training, uh, which was the focus this time. So there was no live firing uh, on this iteration of Cartwheel. In general, across the the region, are you are you seeing an increase? I guess collaboration and and uh, working together of this sort across not just Fiji but with other uh, military forces. Yeah. So uh, with regard to the increased cooperation, increased training exercises. We probably are seeing an uptick in that, particularly across the Southwest Pacific. Um, obviously, when COVID hit, a lot of the training opportunities halted. So now that we're now a couple a year or so out from COVID, it's, we're really starting to redevelop and re-engage in those training activities. Um, Fiji's always been important to us uh, for the New Zealand Defence Force, um, and it's important that we do these kind of things often. Uh, to make sure that we can interoperate and try and work together on operations. Uh, just sticking to this particular exercise, uh, wh- when is the next round? Well, um, Cartwheel 24 will start its initial planning probably the first half or the first quarter of next year. Um, I won't be taking part of that because I will be um, posted, but it looks like the NZDF contribution will hopefully continue. Like the men and women thought it was an enjoyable and interesting exercise. It's not very often you get to spend a month from the Fijian highlands uh, practising your uh, close country skills. The soldiers, the men and women, are getting to live with the Fijians in the jungle and learning um, how they operate in the jungle uh, was really important. Uh, anecdotally, um, they, they, the Fijians showed them how to live off the land in a way that we can't in New Zealand. How to make, how to identify edible foods, uh, wild fruits, and uh, basically how to prepare and cook them, which is not something that we get a chance to practice ever. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thank you very much. To close of Tuvalu Language Week, I speak with a proud Tuvaluan and Ikeribas businesswoman who is the co-founder of a weaving and handicraft store in Suva, Fiji. Since 2018, Emily Umu and her mother have been running Teraranga, and it's growing from strength to strength. Teraranga products have been featured at special events such as Fiji Fashion Week. Emily joins me on Pacific Waves. Talofakoi, Emily, tell me about Teraranga. How did it all start? Teraranga is a small family-owned business uh, run by my mom, my sisters, uh, my two sisters and I. Um, so Teraranga was uh, formerly known as Island Beauty Handicraft, 
And initially, it was only mom who was involved in the business. But just five years ago, um, she asked for our help because she noticed plenty of businesses were selling online, and she wanted us to set the business up on social media. So to start that off, we thought to change the business name first. And since our business specialized in Tuvaluan and Ikirapa styles of weavings, we thought it would be fitting to have a name in the language. So we called our business uh, Teraranga, which means the weaving. So that's how it started. And what we do is we, we weave items like laundry baskets, pot plant holders, uh, placemats, table runners, wall hangings, and hand, handheld fans, earrings, and mirrors. And we also uh, sell uh, small Fijian um, artifacts that we buy off other uh, people and then we resell it at our shop. It's timely that we're doing this interview this week, given that it's Tuvalu Language Week here in New Zealand. <laughs> What's your personal connection to Tuvalu? So my dad is Tuvaluan. Both his parents are both Tuvaluan and my mum is Ikirabe. Uh, why was it important for you to incorporate both the Tuvaluan and Kiribati community in your business? Um, I think because we wanted to keep the culture, like uh, with weaving, in terms of weaving, um, uh, we noticed that a lot of uh, our weavings or the art of weaving, um, the Tuvaluan or Kiribati style, it, it's lost especially living in Fiji, yeah? we're like third and fourth generation uh, Tuvaluan and Nikiripa settlers in Fiji. So our weavings are slowly dying out. So apart from um, helping our family make a living, it also we also engage um, about 10 other women weavers in our local uh, Tuvaluan and Ikiripas community that we live in in Fiji. Um, so yeah, it provides as well for them and their families. You were recently involved in the launch of a mobile p- payment platform, DuaPay. How has this benefited your business so far? So our um, DuaPay has helped our business make sales where we could have lost out on because you know, some of our customers, they do not have cash on hand to purchase with, and they would just want to use their MasterCard or their Visa card. But the time we didn't have dual pay, that we would lose out on that sale because that was the only way they could pay. What are the challenges that you've encountered running your business um, so far, and how have you overcome them? So some of the challenges that we've faced, um, in our business is um, lack of materials. Uh, sometimes, like, for instance, we we usually make um, our signature handheld uh, fans. So sometimes the shelves that we need, the mother of pearl shelves that we need for the, for the product um, is not available. Or let's say the, the vow, the, the fiber that we use to make uh, some of our um, uh, some of our items they're not available and yeah so materials shortage is one of the biggest uh, problems that we face and other than that 
I think I think that is one that I can think of right now. Um, some of the uh, we've made a lot of um, connections, or we've built a lot of uh, positive relationships with other people that we've met uh, along with you know those who appreciate um, our products. And uh, yeah, it's been really um, what do I say fulfilling. <laughs> Uh, to to have those connections because later on in the future they also tell other maybe their friends and families how lovely our products are and yeah it creates more business and more relationships for the future so I think that's one of the success uh, uh, aspects of uh, our business so far. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rndi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, to Fast Week 4.